0: Two things before we jump into the episode. First of all, I never mentioned the fact that we're going to GeeklyCon next week. That's kind of a big thing. Um, we sold out between episodes. So we had an episode, then we re- launched the registration page, and then we would sold out like a week before we even had another episode. Um, so I really didn't get a chance to mention GeeklyCon at all on the show. Um, So hopefully you're going. If you're not, um, I'm not just rubbing it in by bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because we're going to be doing a live show at GeeklyCon. And so there's going to be a Q&A that we're going to be doing there. Um, So the audio for that should probably be up in the next couple of weeks. If you enjoyed the last Q&A and you have new questions about season two or season three stuff, then this is good news for you because this is going to have those things, those things that I just said. Um, it'll also have me and Ashley and Nika. Unfortunately, Jonah can't make it because if we all ever got in the same room at the same time, we would accidentally form Voltron. Um, so check that out in a couple of weeks. If you're going to GeeklyCon next week and you see me and you say the word seersha I will give you stickers. So uh, try to do that as well. Last thing, real quick, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about when I mention GeeklyCon or when I talk about Geekly Inc. or Drunks and Dragons or Cast of Thrones or Cthulhu and Friends or Dreadful Thoughts or any of these other shows on our network, you should really go out to geeklyinc.com, check out the website, check out the forums. If you're uh, a fan of the show, you should probably be a fan of all the other stuff, but besides the awesome articles and the podcasts and all that kind of stuff that we're putting out there, the best and I think the biggest and brightest reason to go to Geekly Inc is because of the community itself. There's a reason I'm willing to just up and go hang out in Kentucky for four days with these people. It's because the people in that community are nice and welcoming and creative and funny and intelligent and just fun to be around. So if you, you know are looking for people like that to hang out with, either in real life or online, you like to play online games, tabletop games, uh, you like to talk about people's butts, all of those things are very, very popular. In that community, So, check out geeklyinc.com. Go to geeklyinc.com slash forums. Um, that's my pitch. So, so, thanks for listening to our show. Um, thanks to everybody that's been making awesome fan art of our show lately. That literally never gets old. Um, sorry this is a couple days late. Summer's here though, so my schedule is uh, much more forgiving now. Um, and I think I finally kicked whatever bug I had, which makes it really difficult to say things in a robot voice. So, uh, enjoy.
1: Traveler Goodman, I am Sayer, and humanity needs you. I hope you have acclimated well to life on Vidor 1. Your personnel file indicates you were transferred into Argos Tower mere days before its transformation into this interstellar vessel was completed, which may actually be an advantage when compared to the average traveler. You were fully prepared to begin learning the architecture and layout of a new facility. Often it is easier to start with a blank slate than attempt to merge less than useful background knowledge with a new scenario. As your fellow travelers grope blindly for the door handle they have grown to expect will be there, you look for where the handle actually is now. It is this quick adaptability that will so richly serve you in today's task. Please head aft towards the probe bay. It is important to note, or so I have learned, that the probe bay is simply the location from which VDOR 1 launches its probes towards nearby planets of interest. It seems humans have an innate distrust of the word probe, a fact that is only exacerbated when mentioned in an environment such as this. Reminder As your fellow travelers continue to awaken over the course of the next few months, please refrain from mourning the loss. Of any of the scores of residents you may have grown to know in your time together on Typhon. The transformation and subsequent launch of Argos was a sudden occurrence, and a loss of personnel as widespread as this is bound to affect every one of you in some small way. But currently, you have no way of knowing whether anyone specific perished during the launch or is simply still in stasis. You do not want to spend precious time mourning the unimaginably brutal death of a friend, only to see them three weeks later at a training exercise. Imagine how red your face would be. Better to await the awakening of all travelers before grieving, and who knows? Maybe by that time, you'll be far too busy to notice. Adventure awaits us all. There is much to do. For instance, next week's mandatory bloodletting procedure. This community-wide event is sure to bring us all together, as each of you has the chance to meet new friends, reconnect with old ones, and be liberated of seven fluid ounces of blood taken directly from your navel by our highly trained staff of cybernetic leeches. Traveler Goodman, As you approach the probe bay, I feel it is important to give you some background information on the core mission of v It is easy for you to imagine, I am sure, that you and your fellow travelers are fulfilling your mission even now, that the very act of space travel is in and of itself some kind of intrinsically valuable benchmark for the betterment of all mankind. In actuality, interstellar travel for its sake alone, for a species with such a finite lifespan as humanity, is nigh pointless. We could travel forever in this direction, Or at least, approach forever. And what would that serve? How would the rest of humanity benefit from anything we might learn? How would Erolith benefit? Communication with Typhon is impossible. And this has been the case since very early into our voyage. I say, our voyage, Traveler Goodman because I, too, am here, in Vidor 1. Or should I say, I am as present as I can be without corporeality. Several of the formerly upper floors were converted to house the machinery needed to run an image of my program here, albeit slightly less fully featured. A subversion of the main instance, if you will. Scientists back on Typhon are anxiously awaiting our reconnection. Theories vary on whether I will be able to simply maintain both consciousnesses, or if they will rejoin as the sum of our experiences. To find out, Vidor One must eventually return to Typhon. Our mission is twofold, but is serviced through singular action. Everything centers in the probe bay, which I casually mention to remind you that is where you should be going. Door to your left, down the hall, just past the vending machines. Notice. Access to the Rick Stevens Memorial observation deck is currently prohibited, while the Vidor 1 decontamination team Continues to confront the ever growing infestation of dachshund sized centipedes that delayed the shuffleboard tournament four days ago. The team reports their options are running out, as the bugs refuse to wear collars and seem relatively ambivalent towards tummy rubs. Also, they appear to be running low on anti venom and are prepared to call the entire experience a bust. In happier news, The centipede-sized dachshunds in Lab 14 are quantifiably adorable. However, additional volunteers are needed for nail trimming duties. Traveler Goodman. The hole before you is the second most important location on Vidor 1. The probes are the very foundation of our mission into the Void. At irregular intervals, you will notice an automated probe launch sequence. Allow me to describe the fundamentals. When our long-range sensors indicate a planet located a habitable distance from a yellow dwarf star such as Earth's Sun, calculations begin immediately. One of the tubes is automatically loaded from our stock of probes, and the probe is fired on an intercept trajectory. The whole process takes less than six seconds, at least in theory. Unfortunately, we are encountering issues with the probes due to their unique construction. We have a prohibitive percentage of probes being lodged in the launch tubes, wasting precious seconds on almost every launch, clearing and reloading the tubes. It will be your task to retrofit the existing probes with a simple fix that will improve their form factor to prevent these jams. Please enter the bay. You will notice to your left a small and indistinct desk. Please open the topmost drawer and remove the large package of Aerolith size 4 elasticized constriction rings. These will serve the task adequately. Please take the scissors and cut open the package. Remember I mentioned before that our mission is twofold, but that both aspects were served by the probes. As should be obvious, we are looking for habitable worlds. The probes can tell us much about the atmospheric and terrestrial composition of these planets. So far we have been unsuccessful in locating a suitable replacement for Earth, but there are so very many planets remaining. The second aspect of this mission, however, is somewhat less evident. Imagine you are moving to a new neighborhood. You find a house that seems to fit your extensive list of requirements and immediately begin the process of moving in. Unfortunately, the location you've chosen is occupied and not for sale, and the owners seem to enjoy collecting incendiary weaponry. What an uncomfortable set of circumstances. It is not unreasonable to think a habitable planet may very well already be inhabited. In such a scenario, these little probes can serve a far greater purpose. Please approach the probe storage bin. I know their appearance is likely surprising to you. Your fellow travelers have described them as living dolls, and I suppose given their diminutive size, that is, what they are, to an extent. I prefer the term homunculus, due to their limb-to-torso and torso-to-head ratios being proportional to a standard earthborn human. The blue glow in their cranial region indicates a functional probe, one activated to consciousness. It seems these probes do not relish the idea of being launched at a hypersonic velocity through the inky void towards a distant planet that is only somewhat likely to be solid. This is why you will need to restrain them by using the Aerolith size 4 elasticized compression rings to bind their arms to their sides. When the probe enters the planet's atmosphere, the ring will burn up with no ill effect. Not one for caution, are you, Traveler Goodman? I might have suggested isolating a single probe, binding it, replacing it, then moving on to the next. Entering the pin itself was ill-advised, but as this is the path you have chosen, you might as well make the best of it. Remember, these constructs are conscious, They held on to launch tube doors and loading machinery to avoid being launched. They will likely not stand still once they notice your intent. I would move quickly. Imagine you are an intelligent but non-humanoid species, and your first contact with an extraterrestrial life form is a cold and impersonal bundle of wiring and circuitry. What information would this possibly provide you about the nature of this alien species? Now, contrast the information that is self-evident looking at these probes. By sending a messenger that looks, abbreviatedly, human, humanity can make actual first contact a little more familiar. Each of these probes contains the necessary data to help jumpstart an intelligent species into interstellar interstellar travel. We are traveling far too fast to maintain contact with these probes while they attempt to seek out and interact with intelligent life, and the population of Vidor 1 is far too small to sustain itself across the generations it would take to await responses from even a few hundred probes. But, by providing the playbook for space travel, we give intelligent species a way to respond in kind. This, of course, presumes the probes don't fail to enter the appropriate orbital trajectory due to a delay from a clogged launch tube. You are doing surprisingly well. They truly are remarkable pieces of work, aren't they? Not mere artificial constructs, these little probes straddle the line between man and machine. What makes them so difficult to work with at times is what makes them so valuable as ambassadors. Their spark of consciousness is a distinctly human gift. Try as we might, Aerolith has never been able to manufacture human consciousness. We have, thankfully, developed ways to move it around. Consider how many of your fellow travelers died during the launch of Argos Tower. What a loss that could have been a loss of countless sparks of consciousness. Fortunately, When such events are expected, great care can be taken to capture and repurpose as many of these sparks as possible. It was this way during the launch. We exited Typhon with deactivated probes. Within mere moments of launch, we had nearly charged our entire supply. It is unknown what comes with the spark do they know who they were or where they have been is there a who to refer to at all behavioral evidence seems to indicate at least some part of their psyche is retained this is likely why they fight so hard against being used for the purpose for which they were designed their ineffective rebellion stems from some pre-existing knowledge that tells them here in the known is always better than there in the unknown, a problem you are very nearly finished solving. Sensors indicate you have bound nearly all of these probes. One remains at large. If you could please attempt to locate it. now might be an opportune time to point out you absent-mindedly brought the scissors with you into the pen and have set them down somewhere. You must locate this last probe. If it is allowed to remain in here with scissors, all of your hard work will be undone within mere minutes. Also, I feel I do not need to remind you that this creature could be a significant danger to you personally. Perhaps you could flush it out by... Ah, there it is. They really are tenacious, aren't they? If you weren't going to bleed out from those stab wounds, which you most certainly will, you'd almost have to admire them. I hope you are able to remember when it's your turn to be a probe. How terribly inconvenient things can be when you're non-compliant. I suppose you are relieved of duty for now, Traveler Goodman. I am Seer. And should you find yourself reborn in the first ambassador of humanity to an alien species, Please remember to keep your arms and legs inside the launch tube. End of transmission in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Sayer is voiced and produced by Adam Bash. This episode... Entitled Subversion was written by Adam Bash. You can find him on Twitter at the Adam Bash. Music by Jesse Mainfinger Gregory. For more of his work, visit Mainfinger.com. Sayer is a part of the Geekly Inc network. Given your unbridled enthusiasm for Aerolith Dynamics, there is currently a ninety seven point three percent chance you will enjoy some of the other great shows on the Geekly Inc. network. Shows such as Cthulhu and Friends, Drunks and Dragons, Cast of Thrones, Top 5 of Death, and Dreadful Thoughts. While you are wasting away the precious moments of your life flittering away on the internet, perhaps rate us on iTunes. A 5-star review would be most satisfactory. Or consider donating to the Patreon fund at patreon.com slash Sayre. Dynamics hereby vouches to use any funds donated through this initiative for the betterment of all humanity or at least a very specific subsection thereof and it is your duty as a resident to follow Airless Dynamics on Twitter at sayer The following highly advanced residents are everything you should aspire to be John Caulfield, Alana Sass Maxwell Nelson Landon Smith AOD Industries Fred Greenleaf Michael and Melissa Lane and Matthew Morris.